Hello and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of AZ Vineyard Church. This week, John Thomas talks about pictures of love. Go get a notebook, grab a Bible, and expect to have an encounter with God today. Speaking of what God's doing here, he's doing some great things here this morning. And I get to introduce to you a good friend of mine for a a great many years, John Thomas, who is the president of Streams Ministries. Uh, Many of you will have heard of uh, uh, prophetic minister John Paul Jackson, who passed away, what, four years ago? And uh, we miss him greatly. But John worked with John Paul Jackson and has become now the president of the ministry that John Paul started and he's a friend of this house, and I would like you guys to give him a wonderful welcome. Thank you, thank you. Wow. Worship is good, huh? Well, hello. Somebody got a message. That's a good sign. (laughs) Wow. Well, it's great to be back. Great to be back in Arizona. It's it's fun. This is the place where I encountered the Lord for the first time. Um, Grew up quite away from the Lord and uh, spent a few years trying to see how angry I could get him purposefully because I thought he didn't like me, so I, I didn't like him. And uh, spent a lot of years running, OD'd on a bunch of different drugs. Um, I have absolutely no right to be alive, but I was driving down the street here in the city about 24 years ago and had this thought, you know, the world's going to end. I better figure out what side I'm on. Decided I had to go out and get a Bible and figure out what truth was. So I went and found myself a Bible and every single night, whether I was high or drunk, I read out of that Bible. And I'd, I knew some believers at the time, and so they, they were trying to tell me that you need to start in, in the New Testament, get started in the Gospels, start in the Gospel of John. So I went to Genesis and uh, started reading through. I, I got to about 2 Kings and uh, went to sleep one night, woke up different. Still don't know what happened. I, I didn't ask to be saved. He just did it. I just got free. I, I, I haven't had a desire to do drugs since. I, I didn't run through any of the, the detox that you should do when you're doing crystal meth and heroin and crack cocaine and whatever else you can get your hands on that particular weekend. I, I just was free, and I was aware that God's presence was there and that I was loved. And for the first time in my life, I actually felt love. And that has started this journey that uh, I've been on ever since then of figuring out where that love can go. What, what happens when we actually know that love and what happens when people come into an encounter of that love? Because I, I am absolutely convinced that if, if any one of us would actually see how much God loves us and not just have a thought in our head so that we could answer the right questions, but actually have an experience of that love that we would be different people. 
We would be so consumed with love that we would stop living for ourselves and we would actually live for love. That it would be easy to give up those things that have held us bound before then, that we would actually be able to be free. Because the thing about living for love is, is you're free. Now, not living for other people's love, because that's what gets us bound. But living because of love. Not living trying to get love. Most of us have been spending our lives trying to figure out how to feel loved because we really don't believe that we are. And we would not admit that, of course, because it's too scary to admit it. But periodically when we're laying there at night and things didn't go the way that we thought that they should have went and our loved one is dead or dying, our marriage is falling apart, our kids are going the wrong way. We lay there and we go over all the reasons why we do not deserve to be loved, why we're so alone. And that question that we've been trying to hide from with all of our busyness and all of our success and all of our escapes comes rushing back and we're confronted with the fact that we really desperately need to believe that we're loved. Every person was created to live from love and to live out of love. We, we were never created to perform for love. We were never created to live so that we could be loved. It was the very beginning. It was the very first temptation. God. God creates this astounding, perfect, beautiful world. He, he, he makes this paradise. He, he puts trees in it. He, he puts everything that's needed in it. That there's, no, there, there's no danger. There's no risk. Everything is perfect. You, you have people that, that are in union and in communion with one another that, that love one another, and they've never known fear in any way, and, and everything is provided. You get hungry, you just go up to the next tree and you grab something and you start eating it. There's no lack. There's always, there's always food there. You see an animal, you go play with it. It's your friend. I still want to, I, I, I want to wrestle with a lion. It just sounds like so much fun. <laughs> like that would be so cool. There's no way I would do it right now. But <laughs> it sounds like fun. Everything was perfect. And comes this question. So, did God really say that you can't eat from the trees of the garden? Oh, no, no, we, we can eat from any of the trees of the garden. It's just this, this tree. We're not, we're not supposed to eat of this tree. and We're, we're not even supposed to touch that tree because that, you know, we, we, we oh. You know, if God really loved you, he wouldn't hold anything back from you. you. You could have whatever makes you feel good. You could live life your way. You could violate moral boundaries and not pay the price for it if God really loved you. You could eat of this tree 
And then you'll be like God. You'll, you'll know what's good or bad for yourself. You don't actually have to listen to somebody else telling you what's right or wrong. You can figure it out based off of your own intellect. I mean, you're smart enough. Look at the world. You, you can see how it works. You, you can look at the lives of people and, and hear their stories. Of course it's okay to live that way, to do that. That's not really a problem. You can figure it out from your own experience. You can be like God. Yeah, the problem is temptation wasn't the fruit. Here's the, here's the real thing that was going on. They were already like God. It says, and God created man in his image, male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. And he gave them dominion over the plants and over the animals. They, 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 they were already like God. They were already loved, but now they had a question mark. Am I really loved? I've got to prove that I'm loved by what I do. So I'm going to prove that God loves me by violating this boundary because he's bound to love me even if I don't do it. You, you, you see where we're going. It, see, we, we've been in this, in this society, in, in this world that we're, we're in, we, we get to call it American, we, we, we often try to call it Christian. But the reality is most of what is considered Christian in America is not Christian. It's, it's what some, some of those that study this, they, they call it moral deism. I like the idea that there's a God, something bigger than me, that says that there's a right and a wrong way that would cause me to be a better person. And if I'm a better person, then I'm doing the right thing. Moral deism. I don't actually have a God that would make a judgment as to what's right or wrong. He just wants me to be a good person. And so I can get away with anything and call it love. And so we redefine a word like grace. Jude talked about this. We, we call grace licentiousness. The license to do whatever we want. But Jude said that that was a demonic deception that would cause people to enter into destruction. There, there's grace, so I can just do whatever I want because, you know, God loves me. And we hear the word love and we don't even know what we're talking about. Because what we think, the concept that comes into our head when we hear that word love has nothing to do with what love actually is. We, we've redefined love. I'm loved by you if you make me feel good. You guys have heard this, right? Now, we don't usually give it that exact words, but that's exactly... You shouldn't do that. Well, you're not being very loving. 
Why? Well, because you offended me, and that doesn't make me feel good, so you're not loving. Because love is defined by how you make me feel. Which is the very reason why some of us go through these roller coasters and we start to question whether or not God loves us. Because we think love is when we have feel-goods from someone else. But what we really have is niceness. See, nice is this picture, this veneer that we put over ourselves so that other people feel good around us. I, I can remember on my way to a family's house, I, I, I was probably nine, ten years old, and we're, we're on our way over to a family friend, and we're having family dinner with their family and our family, and, and in the car on the way over there, my mom lets me know that we're going to be having liver and onions. I'm like, I'm not eating that. I hate liver and onions. Like, you will eat it, you will like it, and you will tell them how good it was. Lie. we do it all the time. I mean, it's astounding how much we lie in church to look holy. I mean, you ever, you ever tried to actually be honest in church? People don't like it because then they're confronted with the fact that they might actually have to be honest. I mean, if you admit that you have problems... I mean, I, I come to church so that somebody can make me feel good and so I can get encouraged and have the pep that I need for the week. And we, we did this survey, not, not we, but the church. Actually, it's Barna Group, which is one of those groups that does all these surveys and they, they study Christianity. This is a number of years ago, almost 10 years ago. And, and one of the questions, so they had a bunch of things that they were looking at, but they... They separated out their groups, and, and they had a series of questions of, you know, born-again believers. Have you had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that changed your life, and because of that, you believe that you are going to heaven when you die? And the people that answered yes to that in America, they asked this question. Multiple choice. What is the purpose of the church? 85% of the people asked, included as their answer, to meet my needs. The purpose of the church is to meet my needs. It's not actually to gather around the presence of God. It's not actually to advance the kingdom of God and bring transformation to our city and our culture. It's not a place where I can learn what's true so that I can live outside of deception. The church exists to meet my needs. But it's our fault because we get people to come to our churches by telling them how we're going to meet their needs. 
And whatever you do to get somebody in the door, you got to keep on doing to keep them there. I, I live in Dallas, Texas. We're, we're kind of the, the buckle of the Bible belt. Every time a new church starts, good advertising. Um, I, I had a friend that started a church. The first public service, they have 500 people in the church. They're, they're a year into it. They're, they're, they're running around 1,400 a, a weekend right now because they're the next new thing. And then the next new thing will come. And 5,000 people will move over here, and 10,000 people will move over here. And we just, we just move around because they're going to meet my needs. It's the next celebrity and, you know, nice Christian celebrity. I, I want to be part of the popular church. I mean, in Dallas, some, some, some people choose the church that they go to based on what their job is. Because if you're in construction, you go to this church because there's really good connections and opportunities. But if you're in finance, you want to go to this one. If you're in real estate, you can go to this one because it's going to advance your business. Now, it's just a clearer picture of the exact same issue. What makes you feel loved? What we've got to do is we've got to come back and redefine what we think love is. Because our picture of love is off. Love is defined by God's actions in history. It says God is love. That doesn't mean that love is God. Which some want to hold on to that. But God is love. Which means that my understanding of love is defined by how God acts. It means that I don't try to reinterpret God according to my definition of love. Because we, when we do that, we, we get the same issue that, that we've had. And, and this one's creeping up around the church where, where we, we begin to separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. Right? Because the God of the Old Testament, he was angry. But the God of the New Testament, he's all love and flowers and daisies and, you know, he's hippie Jesus. <laughs> and we, we, we think of those two things as, as separate. And, and we get funny little words like God doesn't get angry. Like, where, where's that? In scripture. It's a nice philosophy, but here's the problem. If you don't get angry, you do not love. Anger is the natural response to what you love being threatened. And so if you don't get angry, you've chosen not to love passionately. And that's why it says, be angry and do not sin, because there can be unrighteous anger. See, what you're angry about tells you what you really love. When someone says something that makes you look bad and you get angry, you love your reputation.
What, what is it that makes you angry? Yet that tells you what you love. So God, God gets angry <laughs> because he actually loves. God loves the whole world. And he loves them enough to hold them to a standard of what is good and what is right so that they can actually live free. It loves them enough that he does not overlook the pain that's caused to you or I. I love the idea of God overlooking my sin, but I don't like the idea of God overlooking the sin of somebody that has been abusing their child. I love the idea of God overlooking my sin, but I can't stand the thought of God overlooking the sin of the person that just cut me off in traffic. It's because what do I love? I love my comfort. I, I love my picture of what life should be like. I love myself unrighteously. I, I, I don't love my neighbor as myself. I love my neighbor with a leftover after I'm done loving myself. And so because I don't understand what love is, I don't believe that I'm loved because things go wrong. My, my family gets sick. I mean, I just, I just got to see my dad for the first time after my mom passed away earlier this year. What do you do with that? I mean, I've seen so many people healed and the ones that I love don't get healed. But 10 years ago, I, I, I got to... I had to bury my mother-in-law from brain cancer, and in the time where she was sick with brain cancer, I prayed for three other people that had brain cancer. Tumors disappear and were completely healed. Over a dozen people healed of cancer during that period of time, and she didn't get healed. God obviously doesn't really love me. What? 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 What's love? Well, if he loved me, he would love me above everybody else and he would make everybody else perform to what I think is right. Because I'm God and I'm still eating that same tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see where this goes? We don't often think about what we think. But if we start thinking about what we think, we have permission to change what we think so that those chains that we were talking about earlier can be broken and we can actually live in freedom because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He, he, didn't, he didn't set us free so that we could go back under a yoke of slavery. I mean, when I was a kid, I, I so desperately wanted my mom to love me. My mom was bipolar. It was impossible 
for her to give me those feelings that I wanted on a regular basis. I mean, sometimes it was amazing. She was the most loving, comforting person you ever met. And then other times she was psychotic. And literally. I'm not, not try, I'm not being mean. I'm just being honest. And I tried to perform. And I tried to perform. And we grew up as Jehovah's Witnesses. So I did really good. I performed really well. I did what was right. I was five years old. I was handing out tracts. When I was six years old, I had Bible verses mentioned. When I was seven and eight years old, I, I was having the conversations at the door with people. When we went, I, I, I became a pioneer. I would spend 30 hours a month, every month, going, knocking on doors, telling people, trying to be this good person so that I could feel loved. I never felt loved. And I'm going to school, and I've got these people, and they think that I'm absolutely weird. And so I, I was the kid that was getting bullied. And so I tried to change so that they would like me. And so now I'm living both of these lives, trying to get this group to like me and getting this group to like me. And, and you know, soon, you, you can't live two lives for very long without them leaking. So I got caught doing something, and Jehovah's Witnesses disfellowshipped me for my sin. So I decided I was going to be cool. Now I could be cool. You know, I've seen these movies, and you know, at the time in the '80s, we, we had these really weird teenage movies. I mean, it was super drugs. It was really cool. You're strung out. You're ODing. You're like you're the really cool guy. So I thought it was cool to do drugs. So I'd never, I'd never had anybody ask me if I wanted drugs. I'd never had anybody do drugs around me. I went and found people that did drugs so I could do drugs because I wanted to be cool because somebody had to love me. I decided to be a drug addict, and I did a really good job at it. They loved me as long as I was giving them drugs. And so I could go to work 40 hours a week and make enough money that I could buy drugs for a bunch of people, and I thought I was loved. Except for the times when I blacked out and woke up being beaten and robbed multiple times. Except for the times when I ran out of drugs and I ended up homeless because they wouldn't let me stay with them anymore because I wasn't giving them what they wanted. And I was trying to find something, and that's when God broke in, and I shared that part of the story. And I got to church. And man, I guess I, I, I was loved, but I still wanted to be loved by you. And so I, I, I did exactly what you wanted. And all these nice people at church, I did everything that they wanted. Hey, we need help in the children's ministry. Huh? Oh, right here. We need help in the youth. Yep, yep, yep. We, we need help doing a, a small group. Yep, 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 yep. We need somebody to lead the ministry team. Yep, I'll do that. We need help setting up chairs. Sure, yeah. Do you love me yet? And I became so religious. I performed so well so that I could have love. And, and most of the time, it, 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 it filled that thing most of the time. 
And there were enough times where I'd just get into his presence and he would just drop his love on me. And then I messed up. Did something I knew I shouldn't have done. And he showed up and loved me anyways. And it started to break something inside of me. Started to shift something inside of me. I, I'm, I'm still on this journey. I don't know when it'll end. But I tell you, over the last 15 years since I realized how desperately I was living for the love of others, I made some huge changes. And, and I, I actually can love somebody and actually love them whether or not they feel loved. Because when you really love somebody, you'll tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. You, you stop lying. Your best friend has cancer. And if they did this, whatever this is, let's just say it was guaranteed they would be healed. But they did, didn't want to believe that they had cancer. And they just wanted to keep on doing what they were doing. And what they were doing was going to kill them. But if they did this, and every time you tried to talk to them, you, know, you realize you, you have cancer. You can't keep on doing this. I don't want to hear that. You're upsetting me. I don't feel loved right now. Would you stop? And our neighbor's going to hell. And we stop. But here's, here's what that one comes down to. Do you really believe there's only one way? Do you really believe there's only one way? Because if you did, you wouldn't stop if you loved them. Now, the ones you don't care about, you can walk on by. You see how this, this actually has to do with everything. We have a generation that has been taught that if they're good parents, that they'll make their kids their best friends. And they won't do anything that upsets them. So don't make them mad by telling them that they can't have this thing that's going to kill them. Because make them feel good. Because if they feel good, then they'll feel loved. No. They'll feel lied to, but they will learn that lying is love, and so they will grow up lying for love. Don't let anybody see what's really going on. Image is everything. Don't let the neighbors know. You heard that one growing up? They better not find out about this. You know, arguing on the way to church. 
dry those tears and look nice. We're in church. Or we lie to our boss. See, this is called the fear of man. Now, we've, we've heard that phrase probably if you've been in church at any given time, you've heard the phrase, the fear of man. And most of us, well, some of us, we're, we're afraid of people. But most of us don't live like we're afraid of people. But when we're about to make a decision, we start wondering what so-and-so will think or how so-and-so will feel. Oh, I can't do that because they, you know, the they. The fear of man and the fear of the Lord are exactly the same thing. Being concerned with what somebody else will think or feel about the decision you're getting ready to make. And you cannot walk in both of them at the same time. You will either walk in the fear of man or in the fear of the Lord, but you cannot do both. You ever studied the fear of the Lord? Now, since we've redefined the word love, we've redefined the word fear of the Lord because it's got to be something that makes me feel good and warm and fuzzy. So it's not really actually about being afraid of anything. It's about having reverential awe which there is an aspect of reverential awe in the fear of the Lord. But Paul says, in knowing the terror of the Lord, you cannot, you cannot translate that as reverential awe. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You, you know what is the scariest thing about God? You can't control him. He is absolutely other. He does according to who he is, period. He does not change for you or for popular opinion. He does not care as far as changing himself what other people think. He cares about people's lives, their future, their eternities. He loves people, he doesn't love people's thoughts of him. And so he cannot be controlled because he does not fear man. And that's the scariest thing about him because there's nothing that you can do to get him to do what you want. He just is who he is, period. Now people... If you stroke people, they'll stroke you back most of the time. You, you can actually set up a life that's semi-comfortable by choosing what you're going to give people so that they will give you back, so you're controlling them by giving them what they want because you're really trying to control yourself and make yourself feel good. And that's why most of us have a problem with God because he just doesn't work on a transactional basis. He's just who he is, period. He's just good. He's just love, period. He is righteous, period. He does not change. There's no shifting of shadows. There's no turning or changing with him. He is always the same. He is holy. Holy. 
And when you're trying to figure out how to get man to think that you're holy, you put yourself out of the place where God sees you as holy. John chapter 12, 44 and 45, says, How can you who seek glory from men live for the glory that comes from God? Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, The fear of man is a snare. It catches us. It traps us. We are in a season right now in the church, where the fear of the Lord is going to start visiting the church again. And when the fear of the Lord comes, there's two options. You either run back to what's comfortable and try to figure out how to control God, which means that you'll leave the place that invites Him. Or you bow period. You surrender totally. God, it's not my life, it's your life. I have this plan, I have this idea, I know what I want from my life, but that does not matter. So the love of Christ controls us, for we are convinced of this, that one died for all, so all who live should live for the one who died and gave himself up for them. That's the context where it says, and knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It's in the context of the knowledge of the love of God. Because God gave you something without you earning it. Which means that you can put no limit on what you give back to him for what he gave you. Oh, I'm good enough. I go to church periodically. But I'm still going to live life my way. And you're going to call that good enough because you want me to feel love. Because God is love. And so God bowed before me. God didn't perform well enough, so I'm going to leave church. He didn't make me feel loved, so I'm going to question if he's true, if he's real. I wanted this to happen, and it didn't happen, so God must not be good. I wanted my marriage to work. I didn't want my, my bankruptcy to go through. I, I wanted whatever. And God didn't perform, so I'm going to question his love for me. Because I'm so caught up in the now that I can't see the future. I'm so caught up in the now that we have countries making laws that you're not allowed to spank your children. Because you're not allowed to make them feel uncomfortable. You can't actually train them in righteousness. You can't actually require right living. And you sure can't tell anybody else what's right or wrong. Because we've, we've taken the fear of man 
and we've wrapped it with gold and with silver and jewels. We've idolized it. We call it politically correct. And it's antagonistic to the fear of the Lord. I have this desperate hunger in my spirit. I've seen him. I know how real he is. And I meet people all over the world that think of God as a concept and they think that he is real, but they don't know that he's real. They haven't met him. I've seen his heart. I've felt his heart break. I've cried his tears over the choices that people have made, over the choices that nations have made. And that heart is worth everything. I have this passion in me that you would so know the heart of God, that you would be so in tune with the heart of God that you would feel what he feels. That when temptation comes and everything inside of you wants to give into it because it's going to make you feel good, that you would break over his grief at the choice you're trying to make. That God would no longer be a concept in books and Christianity wouldn't be about answering a pop quiz the right way. But there would be a living relationship where you would know God. You would know Him. You would feel Him. And not just right now. Tomorrow afternoon when you're at work and the customer's yelling at you, you would feel Him. Wednesday afternoon when you're stuck in traffic again, you would feel Feel him near. Thursday morning when you get the call about that thing that you desperately don't want to happen and it happened, you would feel him. And you'd stop questioning him and you'd stop letting him be a thought. You'd stop living to get him to love you or get them to love you. But you would just live because you are loved, that you would, you would see that heart that's broken before time began, that he saw you, he knew you, he knew every pain, he knew every hurt, he knew every choice that you would make, he knew every time that you would turn away from him, and every time that you would turn towards him, and he chose you anyways, and he said, this one, I'm going to put my glory on, because they have something to me that they can reveal to the world that nobody else will reveal to the world. He, he chose you. He wanted you. Wasn't your idea. Christianity is not about being able to answer the pop quiz. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? Why? Do you answer that way? Demons can answer all that stuff. 
Christianity is not a game of the mind. It's a life that we live. We, we called it the faith. In the last 400 years, we've redefined faith into thinking. Christianity is not the thought. Faith in the Bible, just, just ignore the word faith and put in the word trust and you'll understand what the intention was a lot better. Trust. Trust. But I don't trust anybody but myself. Bingo. Bingo. That's exactly it. Of course you don't. Because they've all failed you. And you failed yourself. Why do you trust yourself? When you come down to it, there is no hope. But there is one who is trustworthy. There is one that has proven himself. There is no hope outside of him. There is no one else that does not change. There is no one else that is always loving, that does not shift. There's only one. And he's reaching out right now for you and I. And so, Father, I'm asking that your presence would just increase on each person here. Your love would just begin to invade hearts. Father, I can see the shame that puts question marks on your love. And I'm asking right now you break into the shame that the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins would wipe away that stain of shame for what you did and what was done to you. Let love invade. Father, I'm asking that you would anchor hearts in the love of God to such an extent that they would not shift, that they would not turn. They would no longer be seeking the approval of those. They'd no longer be working for, oh, you're cool. They would be settled. Lord, Paul said that it took the power of God for us to comprehend that love. And I'm asking right now, Holy Spirit, that your power, your power would come upon each person here so that they could comprehend, so they could understand this love that's so expansive, it's so beyond so above anything that we could comprehend that they would see that broken body that didn't stay broken. And know the extent that your love will go to call them home. Father, call them home. Even right now, Lord, there's hope being released into hearts. Let it go deep. Let it go deep, God. And let the awareness of your presence Rest and stay on each one here. Haunt them with your reality. In the name 
Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to AZ Vineyard Church's podcast. We're located in Goodyear, Arizona. To learn more about our church, visit our website, azvineyard.com. That's A-Z-V-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D.com. 